Welcome to another adventure episode of Film Festival Reviews. This is Christina Kotlar. Hi, and I'm Yuri Turchin. And we've been doing this for a while now. What we wanted to get back into is some of the old films that we've been talking about with the Fort Lee Film Commission members Tom Myers, executive director, and Nelson Page, the chairman of Fort Lee Film Commission, who are doing a podcast called Fort Lee Filmtown USA. Listening to them discuss what the studio system, how the studio system began in Fort Lee, and talking about all the different actors at the time. So between that and recently seeing a one-woman show by Jessica Sher called Betty Davis Ain't for Sissies, Yuri and I decided to watch a lot of Betty Davis movies and see for ourselves what made her so powerful as an actor to this day that people just think, what is Betty Davis all about? We saw quite a few films. How many did we watch? <laughs> so let's go down the list. We watched Now Voyager the first time, which I introduced to you because I thought it was one of the premier type Betty Davis showcases from 1940s. But then when we saw Jessica Sher's show in New York, where she does a one-woman show on Betty Davis, we decided we're going to do a Betty Davis binge of her movies. From from Jessica's show, we understood that she that Betty won two Oscars right off the bat in the 30s. Number one, Dangerous. Number two, Jezebel. And then... The, her show, Jessica's show, opens up with the 1939 Oscar show where Dark Victory was up, Betty Davis's lead role as an actress. Oh, she was nominated for the Oscar, and the, her contender was Vivian Lee right. from Gone with the Wind. Gone with the Wind. And from there we get that position or that show from Jessica where it begins at that point where she's so disappointed that she didn't win that third Oscar it's been elusive it was elusive for the rest of her life it's because no actresses won three Oscars for lead actress but now Voyager was where we were introduced then we saw Jessica's show and then we went and binged I went to the library we got all these movies so we started with Dangerous we went into Jezebel, Little Foxes. Uh, we talked a lot about that during one of the shows with Nelson and Tom. And they, again, were talking about the studio system where Betty Davis came from theater. Uh, she was a northerner. She came from Lowell, Massachusetts. But because she was able to project herself on stage, her voice, everything. She was very successful with the show. She was found by a talent scout and taken to L.A. So she was under contract with several of these studio systems, and eventually she wanted to get better roles. She was not the glamorous type. She was kind of odd-looking. Her eyes were really big, and at the time... All the actresses that were coming from the silent era were starting to create a look so that they could differentiate themselves from the other. There were a lot of glamour looks, you know, that, but she wasn't. She was the character actress. So her first movie was... Dangerous. No, of human bondage. Oh, of human bondage, right. And we just saw that because, again, we started in the middle, so then we said, okay, what... What was her start, and why did she become such a provocative actor? 
actress, you know, coming out from that uh, time frame when Leslie Howard was this glamour guy, and it was very romanticized, and it was painful because that whole idea was you love somebody, but that person doesn't love you. And then another person could love you, but you don't love them. I was just talking about how she presented this energy within this context of a very emotional story. Right. And it's a, who is the author of that? Human Somer bondage. Somerset Mom. And we don't know if it was a Hollywood ending yet because I haven't read the book. We didn't read the, the uh, story. However, I'd like to go back to the studio system at the time. We're talking about Betty Davis's life and the studio system. You were a contract player. She was paid a salary. She had to do whatever movies that they were telling her to do. At one point, they wanted her to do a song and dance thing with Busby Berkeley, and she just like said, no way am I doing that. I am a serious act actor. I want provocative roles. I want challenges. I want my emotions out there. I love the audience. I come from Broadway. I know how to connect. She encountered these different ways First of all, when you do movies, you're doing take after take after take till the director says yes. And you have to um, keep that energy up right, every time. Every time. And she just amazingly, when you watch, anybody watches her movies, and we have, I'll, I'll be the first to admit, I cannot probably maybe take two at a time and then have to take a break because they're so powerful. Very these intense. Movies. Now, coming off Broadway where she knew how to project, she emoted with her eyes. She took that into Hollywood, and the they didn't know what to do with her. She tried to buck the system. She became the hottest ticket item, highest probably paid at the time, and got the best roles because she worked hard and she solicited herself, created an image. What movie did she star in with Franchotone? Franchotone. She did several of them, but the one, Dangerous, was the one that she won an Oscar for. Well, one of the interesting things was her rival, or at the time the studios always liked to show that there was a rivalry between Betty Davis and Joan Crawford. What was also interesting was this art imitation of life, because she also married her co-star from All About Eve, Yes, he was Bill in the, sh the movie, and she was Margot Channing. And as we understood it, we were watching some of the backstory that he wanted a Margot Channing you know, to be married to outside of the movie realm, and she wanted her Bill, mm -hmm. and it didn't work out. Yeah. So there was a lot of this kind of art imitation life mixed with uh, Joan Crawford as well. That was very interesting, listening to the way she was expressing how disciplined you had to be to maintain that energy for that emotion. And the one movie that we really were impressed with was Whatever Happened to Baby Jane.
That was the first time and the only time that Joan Crawford and Betty Davis starred in a movie together. Right. And this was during the time when their both their careers were on the wane, yet they still had clout, and Betty Davis was kind of the queen of the lot at the time, and Joan Crawford said, okay, I'll be, I'd love to play this role. She did not get the starring role. However, I couldn't imagine more tension during this entire movie as from the start of it to the end. So what happened with Betty Davis and Joan Crawford, they were both out of a studio contract. They decided to they decided to take this film. It was very difficult to find a studio that would support it. However, they had it done by, it was produced and directed by Robert Aldridge, who shocked the audiences because they're watching these glamorous stars of the 20s, 30s, 40s going in as sisters of an age of Hollywood that's no longer around. So they have this aura of the past hanging on them. And the audience are completely shocked about what was going on for the rest, for the entire movie. The tension between the everyday, you know, kind of the neighborhood going on, you know, in the new cars, and it's going early 60s, I think. This was made in 1961, so you're going after the 50s into the 60s. And then what is going on inside that house? And you see the gates the gated windows Mm -hmm. and you see everything sort of locked up in there and of course you know there we see Joan Crawford's character Blanche uh, being held captive in her wheelchair and then there was Victor Buono introduced for the first time in this film and he just stole the show yeah he played the piano accompanist to baby Jane Hudson's uh, revival and Betty's already way past her prime, no longer a baby Jane Hudson. It's kind of creepy. So he answers an ad. He's trying to get a job. He's really a composer. Uh, he hasn't had work. So he answers the ad at this huge villa that the Hudson sisters have. Baby Jane. But I, eyes, I, well, I think he was creeped out by it from the very beginning. Well, yes, I agree. And he was such a subtle way of a subtle performance Mm -hmm. that he came across you know you could see his eyes the way he would look and and just kind of smirk and then go in and say absolutely we can do this for you yeah he did set the comedic tone to what otherwise was a very powerful sinister movie portrayed by the portrayal by betty davis the um jealous sister of Blanche who became a well-respected actress who had a became a paraplegic baby Jane had to take care of her and they both uh, baby was very much well Betty Davis's role she very much resented Blanche's being taken as a serious actress but I think she would hear about this it was a resurgence of her career on television so the old movies were playing on television so she had a new audience that found out about her her movies so again this is this sibling rivalry that was going on for from the very beginning and there are very definitive roles for both of them all the way to the end 
the tension just stayed on from the very beginning, you know, from the crash, you know, when the, the credits started to roll. And I think the music played a really important part in this movie uh, because I remember watching this and you sitting next to me and you kept jumping at the moments when the music would really come in and Powerful. emphasize. Yes. Now, some people would say that the music should not be overly recognizable. You shouldn't even be paying attention to it. I don't think it. it uh, if we talk to the average person that goes to see movies, what do they remember? Oh, nothing, basically. The composers do two things. They enhance a scene, they develop a theme for the character, the main characters, so that every time you see Betty Davis coming in uh, in Now Voyager, her theme was lyrical, beautiful, uh, memorable even. You were humming it, I was humming it. So whatever is forgetful or behind the scenes or should not be emphasized is mostly, I think, dramatic things that and how they're used for emphasis. If a, there's a scene, music actually makes the scene, and a lot of people don't realize it doesn't have to be memorable. It just has to have a dramatic or comedic effect as to its intent and purpose. And I think a composer knows with the director what they want to emphasize. And every movie that we enjoy, the music is incredible that goes with it. So there are very many tricks as to composition on how to deal with things. True. But I heard I, a lot of violins for the Blanche character yeah. rather than for the, the baby Jane. Oh, yeah. There was very clever use of music. And I think music is very relevant and necessary. I, first of all, the things that we've learned from making movies is that the director knows that the music is going to either make or break a scene. And so they work in tandem. So the second and most important job, not only filming the movie or the direction of the movie, but the music of the movie. But, and I'm not downplaying the acting but to create what is not live because film is a medium that can be, is frozen in time, correct? Yes. That's it. You, whereas, uh, first of all, what I wanted to mention too, a wonderful thing, the dichotomy between stage and, and movies is that the stage, you got one shot. With movies, you keep taking take after take after take till you get it right. For instance, in Juarez, Betty Davis has an entrance that William Wyler, the director, made her do 48 times. And it was just a matter of her walking in and using her dress a certain way. But you had to get it down to where the director said, cut, that's the take, number 48. So imagine having to do, the, keeping that intensity up, whether comedic or dramatic, 
constant take after take after take. One of the things that Betty Davis, in her later years, in one of her interviews, when people were asking her how much fun she had making her movies, and she said, this was not fun. This was work. And this is something that they both had this high level of expertise and being able to have a definitive performance to show that it, it's just their class, their class act. Interestingly enough, for whatever happened to Baby Jane, Betty Davis was nominated for an Academy Award, and she really thought she was going to win it. Now, Joan Crawford wasn't nominated. I think she should have been. Now, Joan Crawford was not nominated, but she was asked to accept. She was asked to accept the award in case Anne Bancroft won for Miracle Award worker. So Anne Bancroft won for Miracle Worker. Betty Davis was supposedly, this is a story that they were both standing in the wings on stage and she did not win and Joan Crawford said, excuse me, I have to go get the Oscar. Mm. So I don't know, that's a Hollywood, Hollywood ending, you know, that they always try to create this no, sort the, the of business professional. The business was trying to create a myth that they fabricated between Joan. This professional rivalry yeah, myth. Yeah, and it never really existed. It was just a fallacy, as far as I'm concerned, because from all the backstories that we got with the movies, we would go to special features and then we'd have these documentaries on the actresses that we've been interested lately, which are Joan Crawford and Betty Davis. And they didn't meet in life till when? They never, their paths didn't no, they, cross that often. Not often, you know, but, but they, didn't, nothing, work. This they was, didn't work together no. till when? Till, Whatever happened to right. Baby Jane. Exactly. Right. That's and that res- resurrected both their careers. It did. Right? It did, but not always getting the roles again that they would have liked. But what we would like to see, mm-hmm. oh, what we'd like to say is, I think this is a wonderful experience that we're having, and it really opened our eyes to a lot of the work that we would not have recognized recently of Betty Davis, Joan Crawford, and the actors, uh, Ida Lupino as a great director, as well as uh, Hedy Lamarr, who is uh, an inventor, along with being a glamorous and and very accomplished actress. So this comes from a lot of the work that uh, Fort Lee Film Commission has been doing and talking about, and we are very grateful to Tom and Nelson for sharing all of their knowledge mm-hmm. and history, and for Jessica Shares, who has really delved into the Betty Davis story. Uh, she has found a lot of archival materials. She was able to speak with an assistant of Betty Davis and receive some uh, very personal items that she uses in her show. Her next show is coming up on Tuesday, December 12th, and it's at the Actors Guild in New York City, and she has a residence there. And I recommend this show I highly recommend this show for people to see somebody with such energy as Betty Davis had in her years. I see that coming out of Jessica's uh, interpretation of this really icon.
so, so we recommend all the movies that we've seen. We still have a couple of more to watch, uh, but the list is, is quite intense in its, I would say, its artistry, showing Betty Davis's range of roles. She wasn't afraid to to play the provocative actress or role. She didn't want to be led by the studio system. She was very independent. She didn't look for uh, characters that were sympathetic. They were actually the opposite in many ways. But it was dramatic, strong, talent-infused, and she deserved all the accolades that she got throughout the rest of her life and during the time of her acting career. I salute her. We like the letter. Oh, that was yes. one, set in Singapore, exotic locales, right. and some... Right. And each movie has a moral and ethic basis to it, not just romantic. There's so much of that evil that went on. There was murder. There was a goal setting to get some money or whether it's to better somebody else. There was ego involved. Much Security, how to make your life secure, what you had to do. In order to, to get to be secure, yes. And sometimes it backfired. Right, well... Well, there's a lot of her uh, roles were interpretations. Incredible. Now, Voyager happened to be my one of my favorites because the um, her her um, leading man at the time, Paul Henry, and there was a big to do about him lighting the two cigarettes and handing one to her, and it was just all about convenience because they had to smoke so much, so he lit both cigarettes and handed one to her. That was a, and one, she of the most ama- one of the most amazing things. Right. And she smoked throughout her whole, whole career and died of lung cancer eventually at a ripe old age of 80-something. But 81. Yes. But she was feisty throughout her life. Her, um, her family life was five marriages, one, I think, one daughter out of those five marriages. It was one daughter and two adopted children. Yes. Throughout, but she... Was very happy with that, with having mm-hmm. the family until her. But I, you know, that's that's, um, okay. that's something we want to get into. So, are we rounding this up? We're wrapping it up. This is the 100th show for Film Festival Reviews, and I couldn't think of a better way of wrapping it up than with some very strong women in the film industry who we would like to salute and recommend that people go out and watch these incredible films in black and white. Hopefully we'll see more of them on the big screen when there's the new film center being um, built in Fort Lee, as well as these other lovely old historic theaters that are coming back, Mm -hmm. because it's the only way to watch this. Well, recently, Carasotis, and I'm not advertising them, but the one in Sea Caucus, where they're showing uh, the 50th anniversary of Casablanca, for instance. On the big screen in its original format. Exactly. Okay, so people are getting interested in reviving these old movies because I frankly find that today's movie crop does not appeal too much to me. We we seldom even go to the theater uh, cinemas. Uh, We go to a lot of film festivals to look for new talent and new movies to watch and new ways of presenting them and a new talent coming up. But there's a lot to learn from the old guys, from the old people, from, I don't mean in age, but from history of cinema. 
All right. And that's a wrap. Indeed it is. This podcast was recorded at Wheat Sheaf Studio Productions, produced by March Hare Media. Go to marchharemedia.com.